Hello and welcome back to On and Off The Pitch. This is an interview with, I'm joined today by Nicole Allison, a very, very extremely knowledgeable individual within the world of women's football. Hello, Nicole, how are you? I'm good, thank you. Thanks, Ronnie, for having me. No, it's all right. I, you know, I didn't give you a big enough build-up. I don't think I did. And, and <laughs> um, let me, I've written it down on a piece of paper. You are uh, an FA intermediary, right? Lecturer, uh, a member of the FA advisory group, a director of Growth Sport, a founder and director of your own company, consultancy company, uh, former general manager for Tottenham Hotspurs Ladies, former manager for the same team in terms of commercial business, former football player. Yeah, just about it. You've been very busy. <laughs> yeah, I have been very busy, definitely. I've tried to keep every door open um, throughout my career um, uh, because, you know, you never know which direction, you know, things might take you and who you might meet. Um, so I've had the pleasure of doing lots of different things and, yeah, had a great career so far and um, looking forward to, to what comes in the future as well. Well, I, I tell you what, you've packed a lot in your life so far, considering what I've read. Um, and obviously you love sport, you love football, and you played. So I want to kind of start with your early memories of playing football. What was it like for you growing up playing football as a girl or woman? Um, well, for me, so I've got um, an older brother um, and, and my dad's crazy about football. So there was sort of like no real choice for me um, growing up in a, in a football crazy family. Um, there wasn't much football for, for girls at all when, when I was growing up. Um, you know, I was the only girl playing at primary school. Um, I got all the usual digs. Um, when I used to go and play and represent the primary school playing, I was the only girl. It was, you know, you, you've probably heard it all before. Um, but I sort of just did, let my playing sort of do the talking. Um, not many opportunities, no role models. Um, I basically, all my role models were, were Spurs players, a big Spurs fan. Um, so Spurs of the 90s, you know, that was all I really look, looked to. Um, I was lucky enough to go to lots of games. My, my dad and brother are big Spurs fans as well. So we used to travel down um, from the Midlands where, where we were living at the time, uh, down to North London and watch. And, and really that was my football life and journey. Um, when I then went to high school, I wasn't allowed to play football with the boys at all. So all mixed football stopped. Um, and again, there, there just weren't the opportunities in and around Worcestershire to play um, football with, with, with girls. So I moved really over to hockey. Um, I was sort of pushed into that traditional women's sport um, route, sort of the netball and hockey um, sort of side of things and, and played hockey and enjoyed it, but it was never football you know that that was always my passion um and I was actually lucky enough probably I think it was maybe 15 or 16 um a very leading figure now in in the women's game Dawn Scott who's um the performance head of performance coach um at the Lionesses and has been um with the U.S. national team for 10 odd years um previously she was actually studying at University of Worcester at the time and she was doing some coaching badges and she actually um, created a Worcestershire women's county team. And I went to trials, uh, met her and she was really um, key in opening doors for me to then go and play at higher level. Um, so she had lots of contacts within top clubs like Wolves, like Birmingham in and around the Midlands at the time. 
um, and she got me an opportunity to go and trial. Um, so yeah, at the age of 16, 17, I then went and started playing for Birmingham um, and then I joined Wolves um, and that's where I was for the majority of, of my career, um, obviously between kind of university and, and different things, but that allowed me to play at, at the time, at, you know, one of the highest levels. It was before the Women's Super League, which started in 2011. Um, prior to that, um, playing at Wolves, well, Birmingham were in the um, Premier League. Wolves were in the um, Northern Division, which at the time below the Premier League, um, the two then leagues were divided into uh, regions, South and North. Um, and we were in the North, played with some great players, played against great teams. Um, and... You know, that was really my, my kind of key experience. Um, but I really relied on, you know, people. And, and for me, it was Dawn Scott who opened those doors without her and that contact. I, I don't know, you know, where I would have been. And I think that's then the motivation for me to to try and support and grow women's football in my position and any position of power that I now have is to try and create those opportunities for, for others and not just to be players um, and not just to be coaches, but actually to work in different areas of the game. And as you said at the beginning, I've, I've worked in lots of different roles, worked in men's football, in women's football, um, done all sorts of things. And I, I try and push that message to lots of different people, um, you know, not just girls and, and women, but but young boys and, and men as well, that there are so many different opportunities to work in the game. Um, and, and, you know, that's our future. You know, you, you covered a lot there. When I, you, you mentioned, I'm going to go back to you a bit, when you were in high school, no football, and you go to hockey. And I'm like thinking, you, you play football at an early age, you go to high school, no football, and then you go back into it. What kept your passion going during that time? I think just whether it was just, you know, in me, that passion, that love for football, I watched football, I consumed football every second of the day. I mean, I, I remember going to school, I'd wake up in the morning, I'd turn my um, TV VHS thing that I had and, and watch review of the season from for, for Spurs, uh, you know, literally on repeat. It was football was was everything and so I played football recreationally whenever I could with friends with family even though it wasn't in organized competition because that didn't exist for me at that time um still would go to to watch Spurs so football was always my passion I kind of I feel like you know looking back hockey was just that one that sport to sort of fill the gap and and, and you know work on fitness and of course hockey's a, a great game and and tactically I learned a lot as well had good coaches in hockey um, and that you know probably helped my my development in football but I certainly do think and I, and I look back and I think you know if I hadn't have had um, that break from when I was sort of 10 11 up to 15 16 of, of where I didn't play you know, football in any organised way, didn't have proper coaching, you know, where could I have been if I did have that? Um, and obviously, you know, now there are far more opportunities and regional talent centres and all these things that are in place for the talented players. But I'm still aware that those sort of systems, um, you know, those sort of academies aren't accessible to all. Um, and I think, you know, that's a, a really important area that we need to improve on in football in general, but certainly women's football. Yeah, it, 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 I, I'm, I'm glad you kind of said you, where, how far would you have been in terms of your playing career if you had that opportunity between some really key years in terms of your development as a, as a 
sports-loving girl, but as a footballer, because generally you want to play football, you're, you're kind of pushed to the extreme levels of looking at another sport. Hockey in itself is a very different region. It's, it has its own issues, which have kind of yes. come to the fore of late. Um, yes, they have, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you play for Wolves, and then you go to Tottenham. Um, big difference, but even though you love Tottenham, what was it like playing for both clubs? You know, what, was your, I, I, what were your best moments? Well, I didn't play for both clubs. Um, so there was a big gap between me playing at Wolves and then moving to Tottenham in a, in a um, business role. Um, so I didn't play for both clubs. I mean, actually, at the time, um, if anyone had asked me, you know, who I wanted to play for when I was growing up, of course, it would have been Tottenham. But actually, Tottenham um, ladies team were nowhere, really. Um, Wolves were much, much higher. Um, so for me, when I finished playing, I would say at Wolves, well, I had a stint where I was coaching over in America. Um, so I was in America, America for some time. Um, and it was at that point really where I sort of came to a bit of a watershed where I had to make a decision. Do I go down the coaching route and stay over in the States and, and develop my coaching role? Um, or do I come back and actually follow more of a business-led uh, role? And I was more into and interested into the business side and the commercial side of, of sport and football particularly. Um, so I'd been looking for quite some time into educational courses and I joined Birkbeck uh, University um, to study sports management and football business as a master's. Um, and I did that in the end part-time over the course of two years um, whilst working in sports sponsorship at a research agency um, in central London. And that was what really opened so many more doors for me from a business sort of world because I really networked, um, met lots of great people, had lots of great clients that I could really understand their sort of problems within sport, understand their challenges, understand their opportunities. Um, and so working with them was, was huge for me. And at the time, playing really had to take a, a back seat. So I, I did play um, whilst I was in London, but actually I moved to more kind of small-sided um, games, much, much easier to play in, in those sorts of environments in London, uh, which was great. Mixed football again, it kind of took me back to, to playing mix, which was brilliant. Um, and the, the, the opportunity at Tottenham came later in my kind of career um, when I decided to, to become freelance and, and was working on lots of different projects. I'd always followed Tottenham Hotspur ladies, obviously being, you know, being my club. I'd always follow to see how they were doing and they were progressing well. Um, and in the 16-17 season, they won the quadruple um, and critically won their league and then the playoff to get into the women's, what's called the Women's Championship now. It was the WSL2 at the time. Um, and I knew that them getting into that league meant that they had to meet business criteria um, as stipulated by the FA to be in that league. And so I reached out to people I knew at Tottenham to say, you know, who, um, who, who runs the club? Um, can I help? You know, what, what's the situation? And, um, you know, gratefully they, they took me on board and then uh, later offered me the, the full-time general manager role. And what was it like being the, the general manager for a team that you love? Um, well, yeah, I mean, fantastic. Obviously, it was it was great to be to be able to you know represent that brand and that club and be a key part of the growth of of the club. Um, 
it was very tough. I think if you speak to any general manager of a women's football team, um, they will just tell you there is no set job role there. You literally do everything and anything. Um, and that becomes quite difficult at times because, uh, you know, in order to lead any organization, you know, you need to have people around you that, that can, um, you know, be part of the team and resource was so, so restricted that it, it was a really, really tough job. But what we managed to create at Tottenham in the time that I was there was a, I'd say like a real bubble, a real family of everybody from players to coaches to off-pitch staff really pulling and, and pushing in the same direction. We knew what we wanted to achieve and that was promotion to the WSL because we knew that with promotion to the WSL would come sort of wholesale change um, right from the very top and, and, and allow us to be integrated into Tottenham Hotspur Football Club as a whole, which for me was absolutely key f for, you know, the progression of the club. It, it needed to be fully sat within Tottenham Hotspur Football Club and for, you know, that brand to be managed centrally rather than almost two separate different franchises. Um, so it was it was an honour to, to work there and, and to represent that team that I, you know, supported and, and yeah, pleased to be part of the, the growth taking the club, um, you know, into WSL and I, I met great people there and, and you know, the players, uh, that's actually really what led me to become an agent or an intermediary was because mm -hmm. from my experience of, of, you know, working with the players particularly, I just had such huge respect for them. Um, their schedules, playing semi-professional football, working full-time, being mums, studying, uh, it was just phenomenal the work that they that they did coming and train at, at eight o'clock at night sometimes finish at 10 30 some of them would actually be coming from Birmingham to, to, to travel to train so they'd be traveling two and a bit hours to training and back that same day getting up and going to work doing the same thing three times a week playing a game on a Sunday um, you know honestly their commitment and determination was just incredible and I remembered what it was like when I was a player when, you know, I didn't get paid, but I'd be going up to, up to Sunderland, up to Middlesbrough, up to Manchester City, you know, week in, week out. And um, that was even tough for, for me at that level, managing studies as well. And then actually when you look at the level that they played at, the quality that they played at, the way they had to look after their, their bodies um, and work and juggle studying or being a parent, everything, it was just amazing and, and that was what really pushed me and inspired me to become an intermediary because I was so uh, I felt adamant that I wanted to not just leave the club and not be able to then support players anymore but actually continue that support for the players so um, yeah my my focus where, as an intermediary is very much on supporting those players that aren't just um, you know thinking about playing they're actually also thinking about a career in the game uh, post their playing career or you know a, a dual career which I think is really important and is a real positive aspect of women's football um, and that's where I help them to try and you know create opportunities for themselves um, let them focus whilst they can on their playing on the pitch um, and, and, and then let me help them open doors for them in other areas. You know it's it's interesting that you say in terms of the, the as an agent intermediary your, your role is like a mentor yeah you're like a life coach guide but you know you do all of the other things as well 
Um, yeah, I, I prefer to call myself a mentor as opposed to an agent or intermediary yeah. because those those words bring about connotations as if it's all about money. And, you know, I can assure you in the women's game, it, it really isn't. So, yeah, it is very much more of a, a kind of mentorship and, and kind of, you know, uh, an opportunity to be that sort of friend where you can be honest with them, but you can you can help them in ways that, that they wouldn't get from other sort of friends, if you like. Yeah, um, and for me, what I thought about when you were playing, but also when you transitioned to general manager, you were offering this role to players as a mentor. Um, who was your mentor when you did the transition from player to general manager? I mean, I know you reached out to the club, but even going into a role which was probably not known to you, who did you go to? No one. Um, it was very much a, a learning on the job. Um, and that that's, you know, definitely been... Um, something that I've, I would say I've missed throughout my whole of my, you know, football career from playing to coaching to, to now being in the business world. There haven't been any mentors. There haven't really been role models. Um, and sometimes you can feel quite alone. Um, and probably why some people drop out of the industry, because it can be really, really tough as, as a female, particularly being in a such a male dominated um, world. I have been lucky enough through my time of working, you know, within the business of sports. So first of all, at Kantar Media, uh, when I first started there, the, my boss, um, Richard Brinkman and, and others who line managed me were fantastic. And, and they stayed with me throughout my career as well. Um, and, and then I moved to, into the, the Football League, the EFL. Um, I was there for three years and, and, again, met some great people there. Um, so I've been lucky in the sense where I've, I've always met really great people um, at places that I've, that I've worked and, you know, those people I've kept in touch with. Um, but to actually transition into the women's game, into a general manager role, no, there was there was absolutely you know nobody really to talk to talk to or um, to kind of understand what I was really taking on. Obviously, when I got into the job, you then have lots of um, lots of dialogue with the FA, um, and the FA had a a good group of people that would be working specifically with the women's clubs, um, which was always really helpful. So I, I quickly, you know, got up to speed with, with all the different things that were going on and the different bits of the criteria that we had to meet. Um, but you have to be very proactive, you, you, you know, and you have to surround yourself with people that you can trust and that, you know, you can, you can delegate things to um, so that you work together as, as a team to, you know, to move it into, into the next stage. And again, at Spurs, we were really fortunate to have a, a great team kind of around us um, from, from, you know, people working in media and, and marketing as well. Um, you know, people at Tottenham Hotspur Football Club, the, the parent club, even though the women's team wasn't part of them at the time, um, they were very, very, you know, helpful from a commercial perspective, from a marketing perspective. Those people that were working in those departments, even though the women's team wasn't on their job description, they wanted to help. Um, they always gave me time to come in, have meetings with them, speak to them and, and give me support as well. And, you know, without that support, it would have been really, really difficult. Yeah, do you know what? I, I'm listening to you and I'm thinking, you're a trailblazer. That's very kind to say. No, I'm not. I'm being honest because what, you know, I, in any shape of, life, of your life, in any career you take, you need guidance from anyone. It's just a given. It doesn't, it doesn't matter who you are. There needs to be someone in your corner 
And it, it, though the, the guidance or mentorship wasn't necessarily within the footballing world, you sought it out in other areas. You know, you, you compensated for the lack of it within your immediate vicinity. Um, is that something that you would like to see change within the women's game? I know you're facilitating it for the players that you have in your immediate circle. But across the board for women's football, do you see that as something that is, is pivotal to the success and the, uh, to the success of women's football, also for the retention of, of, of talented individuals within the game? Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, the more support networks we can put in place for people, not just players, but coaches, people within the, the administrative side of the game, the better. Um, and, you know, we're, we're trying, we're doing fairly well at, you know, supporting players on a dual career basis that are at university, but also talented athletes that are that are coming through the talented sort of pathway. Um, but I certainly see still there is a lack of that support network for people within business. Um, you know, you can reach out to, to different people across LinkedIn or, or social media to sort of, you know, ask for, for their support or their, you know, share experiences. And actually, I think during the period of, you know, that we've just had with, with COVID, um, in a way, that's been great for that because I think people have had a little bit more time to just sort of, stop thinking about the day job a little bit and actually have, I've seen quite a lot of people offer their time um, to just have calls with people and, and, you know, talk about their experience and offer sort of mentorship, which has been great. Um, and I think what I hope is if we can continue that um, when, you know, life gets back to some sort of normality, um, that would be really, really important because I'm sure I've seen lots of different, you know, people getting into the game, women getting into the game, and then sort of losing that love for it. Um, and it, you know, I've been on the edge of that for sure, where you you love something so much like football, it's your hobby, it's the thing that you do when, you know, you want to forget the stresses and strains of life, you go and watch football and it, and it you know, it makes you feel better. When you then work in the game, it sometimes feels like you have no get out and you've got no nothing to then sort of turn to. And, and so I think it would, you know, it's normal for everybody working in the industry to feel like that sometimes. I've definitely gone through that where I've thought, Do you know, what? I really actually need a break from football. Um, and, and at times I have given myself a bit of a break from it and it's it's been needed. And then you come back sort of refreshed. And I think if I'd had those support networks and places I could have, have gone to get that, um, then it would have made life a bit easier. One group I would say that have, you know, really developed, particularly over the last maybe two to three years, but have been around for quite some time is women in football. Um, and they do now provide, you know, really great, strong support networks um, for women in the game. Um, of course, there's always ways to, to improve. And, and, you know, I think that they've now got people within that organization that are, you know, in a, have got great experience of working in men's football. So women's football in lots of different roles. And I think the thing that I've been pleased about the most is they've always been open to listen. Um, so, you know, they have lots of members now, but actually they've always been, been open to, to talking to anybody listening to, to, you know, not just issues, but ideas and things like that, that, that you have. And, and that's been supportive. So often when I'm doing a lot of consultancy work that I do at the moment in, you know, in different countries as well, they always sort of talk to me about what, what would be my advice to, to help, you know, a, a group of women that want to start something in a, in a football 
world in a country that's just not used to women playing football. Um, and I always really say one of the first things is to get a group of, of you that are, you know, common minded and supportive of each other because you need that network around you to be able to, to push forward. So I think that's that's definitely really important. Women in football have done a great job and, and hopefully, you know, can continue and we get more of more of that as well. Yeah, I'll have to look out for that. I think I met someone from that organisation. I think it's Flo. I think is it Flo? Florence or Florence? Maybe I'm getting it wrong. Possibly. Possibly, yeah. <laughs> yeah, possibly. Um, your consultancy work. Um, stroke lecturer. There's a, <laughs> there's a theme across both of them. You're passionate about the growth of the game. Your passion about um, the, the, the growth of fan engagement and how the two are linked along with other strands. Um, what do you, what, what's your me message to, to, to those who are listening when you're lecturing? It's my first sort of point of call when I'm lecturing, really. It depends, obviously, who the audience is. Sometimes, um, if they're all women that have worked in football before, obviously their passion um, and interest in women's football is already there and they, they have a certain general knowledge of women's football. Um, but in, in you know, more cases than, than not, there's not a huge amount of knowledge about women's football. And so what I always try to instill is actually a passion and an opportunity to tell stories because actually in women's football we have some amazing stories to tell across the world of players of coaches um you know all sorts of people in different roles that have come through adversity to get to where they are in the game and it provides such brilliant powerful stories and not for me not enough of those are, are sort of taught and so when i'm lecturing i'd always be be keen to try and instill that passion and engagement from any student who may potentially at the beginning have thought, I'm not really interested in women's football. You know, I don't, I don't see it enough to actually be interested in it. There's no money in it. Whereas actually I, I sort of turn that and say, this is where the opportunity is. This is the biggest growth area of the game bar none. So, um, and, and that's always been really successful whenever I, I, I speak to any of my students, um, you know, they've become particularly you know passionate about, actually how they can influence and grow grow the game of, of football and at the end of the day it is football you know men's women's whatever it's football and so um that's really always the message in in terms of thinking about the opportunity and then it's working backwards from that in, in terms of trying how, how do we create a strategy that will give us the best of that opportunity um and i, I always say that phrase opportunity creates opportunity um because uh, you know that's that's exactly you know what we need um we need visibility we need more opportunities for more people to take part to be involved in every level of the game and the more of those opportunities that are created the better the opportunities will be the better the game will be the more it will develop um so i really enjoy the lecturing I, i've done that for many years where i started really as a guest lecturer um from finishing my master's degree um gone across really the whole of, of the UK doing lots of different um, guest lectures about my career in the game and, and you know my roles at different times so when I was at the Football League I would talk a lot about the rebrand that we did to the EFL and, and my involvement in that and obviously working across 72 clubs um, and sharing that sort of insight and experience um, and then I always thought that that would be something that I'd want to do more sort of full-time and 
this has been perfect for me and part of the reason why I decided to start my own consultancy was that it allowed me to be a lot more flexible and allowed me to work in so many different areas and countries um, that where I could impact the growth of the game much more than if I was at just one club. Um, so, you know, I've been able to, to, to travel all over. I mean, Saudi Arabia in February um, was incredible to go and deliver a women's football development workshop for, for four or five days to a group of 30 women uh, that were involved in, in growing women's football in Saudi Arabia, where, you know, only 2018 were they actually allowed to, to drive and enter football stadiums to watch games. So, yeah, that, that was probably the, the highlight, you know, so far being involved in something, um, you know, like, like that. And that's a, obviously a hugely powerful project and very long term. Um, so great to be involved in those sorts of things and teaching and, and sort of consultancy really does go hand in hand because, you know, you can, you teach people, you mentor people, you're sort of bringing up the future of, of the game, but then also you're, you're able to do more research. You're able to use that research to develop strategies and create solutions for problems that have, you know, occurred in the past and, and, and try to rectify those moving forward. Um, so that's been great. That's really, you know, growing. Um, and, you know, I guess with COVID things are going more online. So teaching online is, is now the norm, um, which certainly takes a bit of getting used to because you're used to being able to see the classroom in front of you and engaging in that sense. But um, you know, it's also extremely powerful to be able to do this digitally. And I think, you know, that kind of tells us a lot about where the world will be moving forward post COVID anyway, in that we've got to be able to engage digitally. And that's not just um, educational institutions, that's, you know, football clubs and organisations with their fans, with their players, with their coaches, with all stakeholders um, using, using digital and, and being savvy in that respect is absolutely key. Yeah, do you know something, I'm thinking about, when you talked about Saudi Arabia, and we talked about the use of digital platforms, um, I understand generally that in any sport, it's not necessarily always diverse, in terms of engagement, fan engagement, participation, and those who are taking and making the decisions. Do you see the digital platform as a way to increase diversity and you know, bring more unheard voices to the table across the whole field of, of sport engagement and activity? It certainly has that potential. I mean, we see with, with social media, you know, in the last five, six years, it has opened up the opportunity to have voices heard um you know across a, a huge range of of different people whether it's you know it's given fans uh, probably a, a bigger voice um it's given other people you know different voices and for those that feel more comfortable sharing thoughts and you know having their voices heard across social media then it's been fantastic um obviously there are also some negatives to that in the there are a lot of trolls that actually i think need we need a lot more um kind of policing of social media accounts um you know more generally and that's a, probably a whole different topic but i think you know digital opens up so many opportunities and and for diversity you know that's no different um and i think 
there's obviously different areas that we're talking about in sport generally around you know participation governance and, and diversity and inclusion really does go across every single area of sports development um society in, in general and often sport is a reflection of that um so i think being able to take on and embrace what we can do from a digital perspective can can only be a good thing as long as obviously you know things are are policed and and regulated in a in a good and, and the right way but we certainly need an improved um level of diversity within sport and football particularly um it's an area that but I'm doing bits of work in at the moment. Obviously, I'm part of the um, the London FA um, Inclusion Advisory Group and and also the Women and Girls Advisory Group. Um, so that's something that I'm I'm very passionate about, and and also looking to do some more research into um, into really sort of bias in, in in the game and you know in women's football. Even looking at my kind of um, career, and as I mentioned before, it's about that opportunity. Um, my opportunity came because of one woman who happened to be working at the University of Worcester and I was so so fortunate that my parents would take me to to training even if it was an hour away in Wolverhampton three times a week um, but and I'm very aware that you know had I not had that luxury um, I wouldn't have had the opportunities that I had and and you know that's that's still the case now I know there are lots of wonderfully talented players out there young girls out there that are probably not getting the opportunity to go and actually play for a team or train for a team because you know they can't get there so that's an area that I'm really focusing on on um you know for the future is is really how can we do more research into those that area and how can we impact that and ensure that opportunity is there for everyone you know um I'm gonna I've, I've did a little bit of research on you as you would do um you have a quote you don't mind it says your quote it says i believe that in this world of modern football diversity is very important um from what you just said you're doing your level best to open up access but also do the research and study with regards to how the access can be obtained um this is what you're doing but is enough being done within the game from your point of view um i think it's easy to point the finger and, and say not enough's being done and you know criticize all the time um and sometimes i do do that and i think sometimes i need to sit back and always remember how far we have come um particularly when i when i look at women's football you know we we have come far in in actually a relatively short space of time um in England, you know, particularly with the Women's Super League and, and the governance and how, you know, even since I started at Spurs in 2017, how clubs have developed so well and actually starting to really become attractive commercial entities as well. We've come a long, long way, but I, there's always room for, for improvement. And I think Certainly from a DNI perspective, when we look at, you know, reports, I think there's a report probably last month, wasn't there, from, from the Telegraph, they did a study, um, and there was only five black women um, out of 415, I think it is, on representing on boards um, within sports governing bodies in the UK. That's just nowhere near good enough. Um, and 
we've we've also seen i think last year the report the annual report came out from sport england um mm. in terms of governance and and pleasing results in that an average of 40 percent of boards across sports governing bodies were female mm. uh, but again not enough done for black and ethnic minorities um so there's there's huge areas that needs to be worked on there and quickly you know and and, and also as much as we can say we've moved forward quickly in certain aspects of the game, certainly I think from a women's football point of view, the performance and the sort of technical side of the game, but from a, a management, a leadership and a government side, I think there's a lot of work to be done and, and reports still show that I think we're something like 220 years away from bridging the pay gap, something, something along those lines. Um, you know, things generally people are in agreement that, that things aren't happening quick enough. So we need to look at everything as a, as a whole and more research needs to be done. And, and I don't just mean in terms of governance there, but in, in, in women's sport, in, you know, the performance side of things, there's so much, such a lack of research into how women's bodies function um, for, for football, for athletics, for whatever it is. Um, we need to have more bodies of research out there focusing on on women's sport and and you know women's development so my my bit is very much yeah in the in the business and the government side and and um commercial aspects and you know there's there's other people there doing technical things and performance related stuff and you know we need more people out there doing that and i that's why i always encourage students that i work with to to always look at these areas within women's football because that's the area where there's such a huge opportunity to genuinely may have an influence yeah so basically you're signposting individuals to areas that need more focus so that the game and that basically their game their passion can continue to grow so that they fill those areas of expertise it makes total sense yeah definitely you know and we do we all need to work together i mean we've heard that a lot that phrase a lot in in particularly the period of covid-19 but you know the the footballing sort of family do need to come together and, and collaborate here and make sure football comes out of this in a in a better position in a more sustainable position and you know women's football um it has a genuine opportunity to sort of leapfrog the the mistakes that the men's game made um and you know we need to learn from those mistakes take great things from it but also make sure that we we set ourselves up in a in a different way so that we can live more sustainably um and grow the clubs more sort of organically through you know growing growing fan bases and and the engagement of the game as opposed to relying purely on um, you know, benefactors' money that then could disappear at any time, um, and and that's that's what's really exciting for me from a women's, you know, women's football point of view. And then the people coming into the industry, whether you're a student or whether you've been working in another industry, but you you have that passion for sport and football, and you can cross your your experience over into the industry. You know, look at ways that you can impact the game, and and women's football has multiple opportunities in that respect. Yeah, I've seen a little report that you've written as well uh, <laughs> around that. And it is, it is important in terms of fan engagement and also looking at different um, revenue strands in terms of the way that the world is going. Um, the issue about sponsorship obviously is there, but also access in terms of being on, on display, the women's game being on display. 
I want to ask you, do you think there's enough being done by those TV companies, streaming platforms to, to you know, profile the women's game? Do you think there should there could be a little bit more or is it is it is it sufficient? Um, no, definitely not. It, it's not sufficient. I mean, there are obviously lots of complexities around, you know, rights deals and all those sorts of things that, you know, only the, the, the channels and the governing bodies will kind of know. But generally, no, I would say, you know, even those that have um, that hold the rights for the WSL, for example, in the game. I mean, when I look at some of the marketing and the advertising, the, the big images of the billboards, I hardly ever see a female footballer on there. Um, so that needs to be better, definitely, in, in, in my opinion. There needs to be a lot more, you know, thought about showcasing all of the different sports that you have available on that channel. It's not just about the Men's Champions League and the, and the Europa League, for example. It, it should also be about, you know, the, the, the Women's Super League. Um, that's absolutely, arguably, the best league in the world, um, particularly next season. We've got we've had some fantastic players coming in um, for next season. So that's disappointing. Um, definitely need more to be done. Um, it'll be interesting when we have the new kind of right cycle um, for the Women's Super League um, for next season or the 21-22 season, I think it will be um, to see, you know, what other channels and what other broadcasters will come in and, and you know, try and buy the rights for that. Obviously, again, we, we talked about digital, such a huge opportunity there um, to, to be able to engage more fans and, increase that visibility because almost every women's football strategy across the world has an objective which is to change perceptions um, and we can't change perceptions if we don't have women's football visible and we don't make it normal to have women's footballers you know across marketing and being used in commercial activations all those sorts of things so more more needs to be done from a marketing perspective I think um, you know, across the board, not just from a broadcasting point of view, but also from, you know, a fan engagement and an attendance growth point of view. Um, there's, there's, I still think, quite a bit of work that can be done in that respect. Yeah, so basically you're advocating the hearts and mind approach, War, a wartime yeah. theme. Yeah, because, you know, this is, this is very much long term. Um, football, my experience of working in the men's game, is so short term minded. It's all about, you know, planning for that Saturday, that next game, and you then just move on to the next one, move on to the next one. To develop women's football properly and to change those mindsets for good, it needs to be long-term. You know, this needs to be a cultural change as opposed to just a real quick fix. Um, so it, it's definitely about winning hearts and minds. It's definitely about changing those perceptions. Um, and, you know, we need to shift mindsets um along you know not just sports organizations and, and clubs but also other industries and, and that's where great sponsorships can come in and do so much good to actually change those perceptions yes and you know what i'm i could talk to you all day actually but i'm conscious of the time because <laughs> i know there you know we'll have to will, arrange another catch we up will have to up do, that. We'll, we'll definitely have to have another talk um normally i ask the question about if there was a point in time in your career where you go back and change something I don't think you would go back and change anything am I wrong 
No, I think I, I'm always somebody that looks forward and is I'm, I'm very positive about life and, and, and things in general. I also believe that everything happens for a reason. So, you know, of course, I I sometimes look back and I think, especially when I'm watching football all the time, I wish I could play, you know, at this level. I wish I could be a professional footballer. That's what I wanted to do. Um, it, the opportunity just didn't exist for me when, when I was that age. Um, so if I could change anything, I guess it would it would be that I'd want to play. Um, at, you know at a high level and have that opportunity that, that actually younger kids you know that are in sort of these RTCs and then academies have now um, but having said that if I had have been in that situation would I be where I am now in terms of working the game and being being influential probably not so um, I, I definitely wouldn't change anything and you know I'm still very young so there's there's a long long way to go and that's what's the excitement is for for the women's game this is really at the at the beginning of such an exciting movement I think and it's not just about football either it's about how we can impact and change society for the better as well and and that's what drives me every day really well do you know what that's that, that is the perfect way to end because I don't because <laughs> I thought you weren't going to answer the question I thought you're just going to say no but you know you, you do it <laughs> You've given me much, much more. I'm going to say thank you, Nicole, for actually giving me and everyone else the time and sharing, apart from your journey, your passion, but also your vision. Pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. And, and definitely I'll be up for having another chat. Um, so let's keep in touch. And We, we will do. We Brilliant. will do. Don't go away. I need to say goodbye to these guys. Right. That, that was uh, another interview with Siri with Nicole Allison. I would say in a simple words, she's a trailblazer. She's a trailblazer, a role model for everyone. And um, I'm going to definitely keep an eye on her. And you should too. Uh, that's it for now. And I'll see you very soon. Bye for now.